We're doing chapter 28 in Matthew, and we're going to do the first 10 verses, and then we're going to skip to verse 16. About daybreak on the first day of the week, when the Sabbath was over, Mary of Magdala and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat down on it. His face shone like lightning. His garments were white as snow. At the sight of him, the guards shook with fear and fell to the ground as though dead. The angel spoke to the women. You have nothing to fear. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised as he said he would be. Come and see the place where he was laid and then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. That is what I came to tell you. They hurried away from the tomb in awe and great joy and ran to bring the news to the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus was there in their path greeting them. They came up and clasped his feet, kneeling before him. Do not be afraid, Jesus said to them. Go and take word to my brothers that they are to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. The 11 disciples made their way to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to meet him. When they saw him, they knelt in worship, though some were doubtful. Jesus came near and said to them, full authority in heaven and on earth has been committed to me. Go, therefore, to all nations and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. I will be with you always to the end of time. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. morning. He is risen. risen Happy Easter. Great to be with you all. Uh, We're going to celebrate. I love what Mark said. We're going to celebrate resurrection power today, uh, particularly how it can speak into the fears that we have. And I was thinking this week as we read this passage that those first disciples, those women and those men, that first Easter Sunday, that day for them began in fear. Okay, and you see the women going to the tomb, and they're grieving, but they're also afraid. And I love the first words that they hear from the angels, do not be afraid. I liked your translation, Doreen, you have nothing to fear. And then they encounter Jesus, and he says the exact same thing, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That is the message I want to give us today. I want to show you in, in, Luke, or in John's gospel, it includes the men, while the women are at the tomb, they're huddled in a room. Uh, And it describes them this way. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's a day that began in fear, okay? And it's a day that ends in joy and worship and awe. And so what I want to do this morning, as best as I can, is just speak those words over us today. Do not be afraid. You have nothing to fear. Peace, peace, shalom. That's, that's what I want to do today. And um, I've been thinking a lot about fear lately. I've been thinking about fear in my life. I've been thinking about fear in the world, um, how fear can influence us, how fear can even control our lives. And I don't know if you've been watching uh, things lately, but it turns out fear is trending in the world these days. Uh, fear is all the rage. Um, it's hip. It's cool. It's, it's, it's in right now. And, um, and there's a lot to be afraid of, right? We've, we've been through a pretty crazy couple of years, and there's a lot going on in our nation. There's a lot going on in the world. And um, there's a lot, as Mark said, the complexities of our own lives. All of that is cause for fear. And so what I want to do this morning is just talk about how the resurrection can transform our fear, specifically how the risen Jesus, not just the concept of a resurrection, but the risen Jesus present with us can change our fear and move us towards hope and courage and joy and worship. All right, so that's what I want to do this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things that I think those first disciples were fearing that morning and how the resurrection changed all of that. And hopefully you'll be able to relate to at least one of these fears, maybe all three. I certainly can. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's look at a couple fears that they, they had. Uh, the first fear, I think, would be, or the first one I'm going to talk about, um, would be the, their fears that came from their failures in the last couple of days before um, this day that we find them on on Easter Sunday. Okay, so I want you to picture, in this case, not the women. The women actually did a pretty good job <laughs> uh, the last couple days of Jesus' life. Women, you win in this, this one nothing women when it comes to like, like Easter week, okay? Uh, the men, not so well. Let's just say that. Um, but I want you to picture them in that room. They're in a locked room, and of course, they're experiencing a lot of grief. Their, their, their rabbi, their Lord is dead. Um, but I think they're also experiencing some profound regret for they, how they had conducted themselves on their final hours with their rabbi, Jesus. And I imagine some of that regret led to shame and fear. And if, you, if you're here and you don't know the story very well, let me just kind of give you the, the three uh, days that sort of lead up to where they are today. So um, several nights earlier, Jesus, before he died, was with them in an upper room. We know this as the Lord's Supper. And this is the night before he died. And he had said to them, you know what, you know, things are going to go crazy for me and you're all going to fall away on account of me. And they all say, no way, Jesus, we are in with you 100%. We are committed to you. Uh, just to get this in writing, this is what Peter says. Uh, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same, okay, to a person. Next scene. Jesus takes his three closest disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, guys, like my soul is overwhelmed. I'm, I know it's about to come, and I'm, I need my friends here. I need you to be, would you stay watching? Would you pray with me? Because things are about to go down, and I need, I need prayer. He goes away, and they're like, on it, Jesus, got it, right? We're with you. He goes away, comes back a couple minutes later, 
I love this picture of those three knuckleheads. They're just out. This guy on the, on the tree just passed out, right? They're tired. They're asleep. He wakes them up. Guys, I need you right now. It goes away. This happens three times, okay? They can't just stay awake and pray for their friend in his hour of greatest need. And Jesus in this scene says, guys, remember he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know you have good intentions, but, intentions, but your flesh is weak, but stay awake and pray with me. Next scene, Judas leads a band of soldiers, right, to arrest Jesus. And you're wondering, how's this going to go down? And finally, it becomes clear that actually Jesus is going to allow this to happen. And they bind him and they take him away. This is all from Matthew 26. That scene ends with this phrase, then all the disciples deserted him and fled, okay, ran for their lives. Next scene, Peter follows after he flees. He kind of follows at, at a distance as Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin. And you know the story. You can't see it very well, but there's a fire there, and he's, he's next to a fire. And this servant girl comes up and says, hey, aren't, aren't you one of, you're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? He's like, no, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, and three times this happens. Different people come, no, I, you have a Galilean accent. I think you're one of the Galileans with Jesus. He starts to bring that. He says, I swear, I, I do not know this man. Okay? I've never heard of this guy. I've never met this guy before. And as you know, then the rooster crows, and he recognizes, oh my gosh, I three times denied my Lord, okay? <laughs> so here they are now, three days later, behind locked doors, having to live with how they had abandoned their Lord at his greatest hour of need. They'd had such confidence, right, in their commitment and their faith to him, and then they found out, oh, Jesus was right. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I just want to put that phrase up. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Because I think that's a pretty great summary of our lives. Um, that's a pretty good summary of my spiritual life right there. Okay? I have great spiritual intentions. Uh, there's so many things that, that I want to do well in this world, but I keep bumping up against my flesh, my failings, my sin. And all of us experience this in our own ways. We experience this huge gap between the person we know we ought to be, the, the kind of follower we know we ought to be, and the follower we actually are. Okay, and I want you to think even right now, like where, where are you currently experiencing that gap? Uh, for some of us, it's in an area of temptation, right, where, uh, or addiction, where there's there's this thing that, that keeps getting us, and we've, we've made resolution after resolution. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to win, and we keep falling back into the same temptation again and again, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. For some of us, it's we imagine ourselves having a level of devotion to God, maybe. We picture ourselves in God's word deeply every day, in prayer deeply every day, right? And then that 6 a.m. alarm hits, and we're like, Snooze, right? Snooze. And we don't live out this life of passionate devotion. Or, or we might picture, I imagine myself loving the people around me really well, whether that's my spouse or my kids or my friends or my community. I, I want to be a person who loves so well. And then we get into those actual situations and we just keep bumping up against our own insecurities and dysfunction and we hurt people. We avoid people. We, we don't love them the way we want. We experience this huge gap between who we know we ought to be and who we actually are. 
And then what we have to think about in that is, okay, I know that gap. Then there's the, here's the question that brings in fear. This is where the fear comes. What does God feel about that gap? Right? I mean, I know what I feel about that gap. So what does a perfect God feel about that gap? And surely he must be, you fill in the blank, frustrated, disappointed, angry, irritated, right? Thoroughly unimpressed, you, you, however you want to say it, right? And that's where the fear kicks in. Because we imagine God disappointed with that, with that reality. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's never fun to move towards disappointment, right? You, you don't want to lean into a person that you think is just kind of generally frustrated with you. And so what we do is we just settle for a life of where we keep our distance from God. Where, I, yeah, I believe in you. I know you're there. But that kind of intimacy and connection, I don't, I don't think we can have that. So we'll just kind of, we'll kind of just keep a distance and, and walk through life. And surely the disciples in that moment were feeling a lot of that, a profound uh, disappointment in themselves and the fear that comes from that. So let's watch the risen Jesus in action and, and, and see how he brings hope into that fear. Okay? I love his words to the women uh, as they're you know, going away from the tomb. His first word is greetings, which is to say, what's up? How's it going? Hi. Hey, ladies. Right? Verse 9. <laughs> Hello. It's me. And then here's his word. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, here's our phrase, don't be afraid. And then there's a single word I want you to see. Go and tell my brothers, to go to Galilee, there they will see me. Go and tell my brothers. Not go and tell my servants, which would have been appropriate. Not go and tell my disciples, which would have been appropriate. But go and tell my brothers. And I just want to suggest everything is contained in that word. For them to get that word from the women, did he say brothers? Brothers would say, we're good. <laughs> all, is, all is forgiven. Your, your sins, your failures, your inadequacies haven't removed you from the family, okay? You're still my brothers, so go to Galilee and come home to the family. I love it. In Mark's uh, gospel, the, the angel actually says to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter to go out in, to Galilee. And I, I can only imagine Peter said, Wait, did, he, did he actually single me? Did he say my name specifically? Because he, he would have needed to hear that. He would have thought, I think I'm out, right? But they wanted to assure them, no, no, all is forgiven. We're brothers. And, and what really struck me this, this week is to hear that word brother from Jesus, that word from him carries complete authority, okay? Meaning it's not like wishful thinking on his part. Because of what he's done since they last saw him, that word is coming from a person who, since they last saw him, has passed through the cross and has passed through death and has conquered death. And what he did on the cross, we celebrated this a Good Friday, is he took on himself all of their shortcomings, all of their sin, all of their failings, and all of our sin, all of our failings, all of that is laid on him on the cross. He's paying the penalty for everybody else's sins and failures and shortcomings, whatever words you want to use, okay? He's paying all of that, and on the cross, he cries out, it is 
finished. It's paid in full. I've done everything that needs to be done for your sin. So now he comes forth from the grave with authority and can say, I can say brother. And if I say brother, brother is the reality. Or I can say sister to you sisters, right? And that is the reality because of what I have done. Because I've taken care of everything that needs to be taken care of in order to call you my brothers and sisters. I was thinking this week, like imagine if you owed a massive financial debt, okay? And what if one of your siblings, if you had a sibling, uh, comes over to you and says, it's going to be fine. I'm sure it's going to be okay because your creditor's probably an understanding person, okay? (laughs) Not a lot of authority, in that declaration. It'll be forgiven. They're an understanding person, and you can't pay it back, let's say. It'd be another thing entirely if your sibling came to you and said, "Um, it's all forgiven because I I actually paid it off for you. Like, it doesn't really matter (laughs) what your creditor thinks about. Your debt is 100% forgiven. It's paid in full. You are 100% clean. Okay, that is... That's the authority that Jesus has as the risen Savior who paid the debt for their sin, who can now speak brother and sister. And some of us need to hear that word, that we have a risen Savior who in the very midst of our failings, our inadequacies, our sins, pronounces brother, pronounces sister. I have paid all that needs to be paid for. We're good. You're forgiven. You can come home to God and live in a place of intimacy, not distance with the God of the universe. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's the first fear, the fear of their failings. Second fear, um, I mean, there's so many fears, but um, second one that I want to look at is, is the fear of other human beings that they would have had in that morning. And I'm thinking, again, especially of the men. Let me take you back to the, the passage in John, okay? I read this already, but here's how it's described. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, okay? And I want you to think about this, okay? They, they had followed Jesus, right? And then they had just watched their Lord get um, arrested, tried, and executed. And they're afraid because they're thinking what just happened to him <laughs> might happen to us. If they find out that we were with him, they might arrest us, and, and, and everything that just happened to him, I guess they have the authority to do that to him. Well, surely they have the authority to do that to us, and they're terrified. They're afraid of these other human beings, and I, I was thinking of this image. That image just struck me this week a lot, uh, this idea of being in a confined room with doors locked for fear of other people. And I just, I mean, that was actually their situation, but I thought, what a perfect metaphor, what a perfect image for how a lot of people live their entire lives, right? Like, in a confined space out of fear of what other people, how they might respond or how they might think about their lives, right? Fear of people can lead us to these lives that are that are locked, that are confined, that are constricted. Of course, in the disciples, they're, they're afraid physically for their physical safety, right? But there's all sorts of reasons that we can become afraid of people. And we actually talked about this a couple, couple weeks ago. But what, what happens is so often we give other human beings a weight, a gravity in our lives um, that only the living God deserves, and what we do is we, we decide sometime, usually when we're really young, that there's certain things that we need from 
everyone else in our lives, right? And you have to, for you, depending on your personality, you have to figure out what that is. Some of us, uh, we need approval, right? We, we want approval from people. For some of us, we want respect from people. Um, for some of us, uh, we want just their good opinion. We, we want a like, right? We just want lots of likes. We want, we want a lot of clicks, right? Um, we want things, and we, 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 we come to the conclusion that we need certain things from people, and when we do that, then the fear sets in. We fear them, because what if we don't get those things? We fear their anger. We fear their disappointment. We fear their disapproval. Um, we fear so many things from people, and our lives can become very constricted, right? Wanting to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, wanting to live for the Lord all out there, but so tight and constricted by, but what about, what do my friends think, and what, is, what do people think, and what does this person think? And that can really constrict our lives. Um, again, we talked about this about a month ago, but I've been thinking a lot about this since um, in my own life. I've been continuing to be reminded of the various ways that, that a fear of other people shapes my life. I've been like praying, journaling. Uh, I'm going to share some of my journal with you on Easter Sunday. Right? No, I, I just, here's, since we last talked about this, here's four ways that I have seen this in very practical ways show up in my life. The, the fear of other people. Um, some of these I mentioned a month ago. Um, here's what it does to me. I bet you'll relate to some of these. Fear um, keeps me from speaking the loving truth into my friends' lives. Okay? This would be the right loving thing to do, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid of they'll think I'm judgmental, or I'm afraid of how that conversation will go. So it keeps me from speaking the loving truth. Here's one I had not thought of before. Um, fear keeps me from pursuing certain people um, because I see them as more successful or competent than me. And they're people I would really love to spend time with. But I'm, what I'm realizing is I'm afraid if we spend a lot of time, they'll see that I'm not that competent and I'm not as successful as they are. And that insecurity keeps me from pursuing certain people that I would love to pursue. Uh, fear keeps me from um, taking all sorts of risks, trying on various risks in the world because I'm afraid that those risks will fail and then everyone will see those failed risks and they'll see me and go, oh, that guy can't make things happen that he should be able to happen. Uh, and finally, we, we talked about this one a month ago, but um, fear keeps me sh from sharing the good news uh, with people who maybe don't know Jesus because I'm really afraid of how that might be received and how I might be received. And so this is something that we certainly that I wrestle with a lot. And so I want us to hear this Easter Sunday, Jesus' words spoken into that particular fear. Do not be afraid. You have nothing to fear. And how the, the presence of the risen Christ, this is what we didn't talk about a week ago or a month ago, how the, how the resurrection specifically combats this fear. Okay, so I, I want you to see this in, in Matthew 28. So um, after you know, sending the, the women to go tell the men. Then the men go up to Galilee, right? This is where they first started their ministry with Jesus. And we get in verse 18. Look at your Bibles if you have Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, 18. What we, most of us know is the Great Commission. And in this commission, Jesus gives them two promises that eradicated their fear of other people. Here's the first promise, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Jesus, the risen Christ, is all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And let me tell you this, his, 
earthly ministry was a lot about authority. The disciples had watched this clash of authority. Who has true authority? Does Jesus have it or do the religious leaders of Israel have it, right? A clash of authorities. And the way that story ended was, I guess the religious leaders and the civil leaders had authority over Jesus because they killed him, they won. And then Jesus rises from the dead and says, no, all along I had authority. And now I have authority over everything, right? Heaven and earth. Any person he would say to his disciples, that you might fear the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, you name it. I have authority over them all. And then here's the second promise. Look at the end of uh, verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I have authority for every person, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. The way that he would be with them was through his Holy Spirit that they would receive at Pentecost. And this was the game changer for these, these disciples. It was knowing that the authoritative presence of Jesus was with them wherever they went, and it demolished the fear of people in their lives, okay? So let me just point out two scenes. So uh, 40 days later-ish, Pentecost comes, right? And this is when the Holy Spirit comes on. They're in a room again. The Holy Spirit comes on them in power, and there's thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Peter goes out to the crowd. This guy who, you know, a month earlier had denied Jesus three times. The religious leaders are there. All these people, the Roman soldiers there, and this guy with boldness preaches this amazing sermon to this crowd. Not afraid of anybody. He calls them out. This Jesus who you crucified, God has raised him from the dead. Repent. Believe the good news, and you can receive the Holy Spirit that we've received, okay? Fear of man just annihilated in him, preaching with boldness because he knows Jesus is here with me right now, and he has authority over this space. Next chapter, Acts 3, one more scene. Peter and John go to the temple. I used to sing a song about this, and uh, they met a lame man on the way, right? Um, and they meet this guy, uh, and they, they um, in Jesus' name, they heal him. And that stirs up a whole scene, and they end up um, being brought before the Jewish authorities, okay, the Sanhedrin, the exact same group, exact same group that Jesus had been brought before and tried and executed. They're in front of the same, and their greatest fears have come true, right? This is what we're afraid of. And it happens. But they believe this promise. They believe, even among these men, Jesus has authority over this moment. Jesus has authority over these men. And Jesus, the risen Christ through Spirit, is present with us right now with authority over every person in this room. And they just speak boldly. Judge for yourselves, they say to the Sanhedrin, whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Okay? Bold. They burst out of that, that locked door and they started living out this psalm. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I fear? And this is the same freedom that we can experience 2,000 years later. A freedom from the opinions of people to live wholeheartedly for God and for God's kingdom. And I want, I want, you, to do, um, I want you to do a thought experiment right now, Okay. I want you to think of who are those people in your lives whose opinions matter most to you, okay? Who's that person or those people who's, uh, who maybe you fear, or at least you'd say their opinion matters most to me? 
Okay, and I, and I want you to, the thought experiment is, what would it be like to step into any relational situation? Okay, might be with your boss. Um, it might be with a spouse. It might be with a friend. It might be with a neighbor. Um, some of you are about to step into a relational situation right after the service. You're going to go and you're going to be with extended family, right? And there's all sorts of dynamics that are going to play out in that moment that you might be afraid of. <laughs> But imagine stepping into those moments with this idea. Jesus has authority in this moment, okay? He has authority over the people in this space, over this moment. Nothing can happen in this next moment that's out of his hands, that he doesn't allow to happen. And he is with me. The risen Christ is with me and in me through the power of his Holy Spirit. What if you lived your whole life walking through every relational encounter with that reality firmly in place. Nothing can happen in this conversation that Jesus doesn't allow to happen, and he's with me right now. I'm learning at 46 that um, Dave, on his own, doesn't do much, <laughs> doesn't do well in a lot of contexts. But me and Jesus can really can step into any situation, and I don't have to be afraid because the risen Christ is with me. So don't be afraid. Whom shall I fear? All right. Are you with me? All right. One more. I was hoping you'd say yes. I fear your disapproval. Or just your disinterest. That's even worse. Right? Who wants to just be thoroughly boring? All right. One more. Uh, the fear of their failures, the fear of the, the authorities of other people. And finally, I think they would have woken up that morning with a profound fear of where their world was headed, okay? And I, I mean that in two ways. First, certainly their personal lives. I mean, imagine being these men and women, okay? Like, where, where do our lives go from here? We've given three years to this man. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. He's dead, and we're in danger, and where the heck do we go from here? Right? How do you pick up the pieces of, of this old life that you used to have? Or what do you do? I mean, they would have been so afraid. Like, what, what's next? And I doubt they had enough thought or, or kind of presence to think this. But if they could have gotten past themselves, they should have had another fear, which is this. Where is this world headed? Like, where's our, where's our nation? Where is Israel headed? Right? They, they had just gone through an experience that told them the leadership of Israel was deeply corrupted. Okay? Deeply prideful, uh, deeply disingenuous. And the Romans are there. They, they ought to be feeling, you know, I wonder where, what, what's the future of our nation? Where, where's our world headed? And this one is one that I don't think anyone in the room will, will relate to, uh, which is the fear of where's the world headed these days. Um, this is actually, as I was thinking about fear this last week, this is the one that I have experienced the most from people on the rise in the last couple of years. Where, just this fear of like, where's the world going? And, and some of you may not connect with the word fear. You might connect with the word anger. <laughs> there's anger, but really anger is simply, there's something I really care about that feels threatened, right? I'm afraid about that, so I'm going to I want to defend something. I want to, you know, move towards anger or whatever. But this is the one that I see most on the rise, uh, and for good reason, right? We've, we've gone through this crazy um, couple of years. We've been through a pandemic. Never, none of us had ever been through that before. 
And we've gone through all the division and the tribalism that has, has resulted from that. Um, we're generally just seeing the secularization of our country in America. I think it's quite clear that Christianity is, is statistically on the decline in our country, and we're afraid of that. Uh, many of us are afraid of the long-term effects of social media and the fact that kids now have all these devices, and we're, we're seeing, like, oh, that turns out it's not great for mental health and not great for relationships. And we're wondering, like, where is that going to go over the next couple decades? Uh, we've seen a lot of conspiracy theories pop up. We've seen a lot of people just jump on those things in ways that shock us. Um, we're seeing policies adopted that, that make us afraid. And we're seeing world events uh, happening even right now that fill us with fear. And so there's a lot to be anxious about or angry about. And what I think we need, and I hope you're with me on this one, is we need to hear the risen Jesus speak peace into that fear. Speak, do not be afraid into that fear. And I want to look at the Great Commission again and, and see how it helps us with that fear. Okay? So first, look at verse 18 again. I already Brent mentioned this one, but of course this is obvious. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? We have to remember that the risen Jesus has authority over the future. And that he has authority over the leaders that shape the future. He has authority over nations. It's hard to understand, hard to accept, but this is what he claims. But then I also want us to see, with that authority, he sets the disciples on, on a kind of a new story that you see in verse 19. This is the Great Commission, and here it is. Therefore, since I have all authority, go and make disciples of all the nations. Okay? This is the new story he's telling his disciples. I have authority, and I'm sending you my spirit-inspired followers to go and share this news about me so that other people might come to know me and follow me too. This is the central story of Jesus until he returns. I have authority. Now to my church, go and make disciples of all the nations so that more and more people might come to know me until I return. This is the central narrative of the world until Christ returns. Colossians 1 says it this way, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And the image there is like this, this story of Jesus is like a vine. It's like a plant that's spreading out all over the globe, okay? People are coming to know Jesus. People are coming to believe in him. This is the central story of the world until Christ returns. And I want to suggest, you read the book of Acts, the disciples had a hard time embracing this as the central story, okay? Um, chapter 1 in Acts, this is the last time Jesus sees them, and they, the disciples ask him this question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, and throughout his earthly ministry, this is, they had been expecting Jesus to set up right, an earthly kingdom. He was, he was Messiah. He's going to kick out the Romans, and we're going we're to make Israel the, the leading nation. We're going to establish a time of peace. And that wasn't the story, right? <laughs> Jesus died for the sins of the world instead, but now he's raised. So now the question, okay, good. So now at this time, and are you now going to do the thing that we wanted you to do? And Jesus says to them, yeah, that's not the story for now. Here's the story. Um, you will be my witnesses I will, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. That is the story. That's the central story until I return. 
And so let me just finish with this idea that when we embrace that, that Jesus has all authority and that the central story of the universe until he returns is go and make disciples, it radically changes how we think about things, okay? Because part of the fear that we have today is we care <laughs> about the world. We care about its health, and we, and we feel, especially in America, probably our, the, the power of Christianity slipping away from our nation. And so we fight this fight, right? And it's a fight worth fighting, okay? We fight so that our policies will be adopted. We fight so that we get our guy or our gal in office, whoever we think that ought to be, right? Our person in charge. But when we understand the resurrection and we see the risen Jesus, there's, there's a deeper truth underneath that fight. And here's the deeper truth we need to remember. Our guy is always in office, okay? He's always in charge. <laughs> Truly, he is. And, and that's, it's hard to believe sometimes, right? But that is true. Chris, uh, uh, scripture says he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, far above all authorities, meaning far above every president, every dictator, every governor, every CEO, you name it. And he's able to bring about his story in spite of those leaders and sometimes even through those leaders, whether they realize it or not. Okay? He's always in office. He's always in charge. And that doesn't mean we don't fight the battles. It means we don't have to be afraid. That's the difference, okay? We don't have to be afraid because Jesus is always up to something no matter what plays out in our country or other countries. And then that also gives us a little bit different lens for how we read the headlines, okay? And hear this. We need to be reading our headlines through the central story of Jesus, which is go and make disciples of all the nations, which is to say we need to read the headlines through this idea that he's always up to that narrative. He's always up to stuff, whether we can see it or not, and he's going to build his church and the gates of hell, he says, will not overcome it, so we don't have to fear, but we need to read the headlines a little differently. I mean, let me give you just a couple examples right now. Think about like, right now, we're reading headlines about what's going on in Iran, okay? And it's scary, they're on the verge of having nuclear capabilities. That is something to fear, <laughs> in a sense. But what we'll never see in the headlines is what Jesus is up to in Iran right now. And those of us that follow certain ministries, we know Jesus is coming to Iranians in dreams. The gospel is going forth in some really powerful ways right now in Iran, in ways that we'll never, you'll never see in the headlines. That God is doing a work right now in Iran. And that might be looking back the central headline for Iran. Okay. We're all very much concerned about the war in Ukraine as we should be. It's terrible, it's awful, and it's something to be afraid of in that sense. But we don't know what this central story, how that's playing out. We have all these people dispersed. You have God's church in Iran, or in, 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 sorry, in Ukraine and surrounding nations, and Jesus' people are stepping into the fray, and the gospel is being spread in, in various ways that we're never going to see in a news headline. Okay? But that is happening. Uh, we're looking at the decline of Christianity in most Western com uh, countries, which is something to, to be sad about and be afraid of. And yet, if you look at what's happening worldwide, we see Christianity on the rise in so many developing nations in a way that's beautiful and is to be celebrated. Okay? Again, all this doesn't mean we don't fight the fights that are worth fighting because we care about this world. It means we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is always up to something. And his story 
is going to come to fruition until he returns again. So we don't, in that sense, have to be afraid about where the world is headed. Because it's headed towards him, <laughs> eventually. Amen? Amen? So there's the message for Easter. Do not be afraid. We don't have to fear our failings. We don't have to fear others. We don't have to even fear where this world is headed. Um, because Christ is alive and all authority has been given to him, and he is with us always. Let me just leave you. I, I just love how these women and men are described, and I'll just leave you with this. Look at verse 8. Uh, they hear from the, the angel. The angel says, The women hurried away from the tomb. I love this description. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Look at the men in verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or the translation might be, they worshiped and they all had a mixture of worship and doubt. That's another translation. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Worshiping, yet doubting. I'm like, welcome to the family, <laughs> right? That's all of us. This is where we find ourselves every day. I'm afraid and yet filled with hope and joy. I worship and yet I doubt. And the risen Jesus meets us today in the midst of all the complexities of that bundled stuff inside of us with this message, don't be afraid, that you have nothing to fear. Peace, shalom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we celebrate you. Today is all about you. Thank you that you conquered death. Thank you that you have authority over everything in this world. And thank you that you are with us now, even as we go out today. And as we sing these songs to you. Would you just turn our hearts and minds that we might see you, see your glory and your goodness and your power and the peace that you can bring as we worship you and give the glory to you. Would you just minister to us? I pray that especially that you minister to us in the midst of our fears and anxieties, even now, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.